You are listening to the Gateway Church in Spring Lake, Michigan. To learn more, visit us at thegatewaygh.com. It's the fall, and we're back into the Word of God. Well, not that we're out of the Word of God, but we're back in the book of Acts. And we, last week, we kind of launched into the last section of uh, the book of Acts that we're calling the, the cost of of purpose. And what we're going to see as we end and kind of work our way to the end of Acts is that it's filled with Paul's imprisonment. And we know eventually he's going to uh, give his life for the gospel. He'll become a martyr and it cost him his life. And as we kind of rolled that out last week and we talked about the cost of purpose, um, I just want to say that when we we know that, it, that when we live on purpose, we live for Christ, there is a cost that comes with that, but the cost is always worth it. And the thing is, God does not leave us high and dry. Amen? He's right there with us. And last week we talked about a God of encouragement, how God sent Paul friends just at the right time. And we talked about how God gave a word to to Paul right at the right time and how God was fighting uh, Paul's battles for him. It wasn't like Paul had to defend himself and God was at work. And the same thing was true in our lives. And, uh, And we talked a little bit about depression and suicide last week, if you were with us. And I just want to say... Um, out of uh, most messages, I mean, I get some feedback, but last week uh, I was flooded with people that coming to me, emails, phone calls, uh, that it really hit a chord. And I just want to encourage you um, that, you know, we, we don't want to just blow, blow by that idea that God is a God of encouragement and uh, that he is uh, doing uh, great things uh, in our lives, and He's working for you. And uh, and if you're struggling in any way, uh, we want to be your friend. We want to extend a hand. We want to walk with you. And for some, it's you just got to vocalize it, bring some light into it. And we talked a little bit about that last week. And uh, and so if you've been thinking about that and you're still kind of struggling or you're saying, boy, um, I could use some help, reach out to someone, reach out to us. We want to walk with you and uh, in those types of things. Now, when we talk about purpose, uh, a church on purpose, the book of Acts was the early church living on purpose. Uh, we understand that having purpose comes with a cost. Uh, does everyone understand? You, you kind of get your mind around that? And when we move into Acts chapter 19 and 20, Paul now will be in Ephesus, and the, the pressure continues. Uh, it is not an easy road. In fact, turn in your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 19. And uh, in Acts chapter 19 and verse 8 and 9, Uh, Look what it says. Paul entered the synagogue. He spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. Everyone say obstinate. And they refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. And the way was what they were calling Christians at that point. And so they were publicly making a spectacle. And it was not an easy road. Uh, Acts 19.23 just jumped down. It says, about that time there rose a great disturbance, again, about the way, about Christianity. A great disturbance. There was trouble. And then you say, well, what was Paul's take on? 
on all this, right? What was Paul's perspective? Look at chapter 20, verse 22, 23, and 24. This just caught my attention and made me smile. It says, verse 22, it says, Now compelled, uh, and now compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. He's saying, I don't know, but I'm going in the Holy Spirit's directing. He says, I know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. He understands that. He's experienced already. And he's saying, you know what? The Holy Spirit continues to say, go, continue to keep moving forward, right? And, you know, I'm thinking, you know, someone of his friends are saying, Pull the plug, dummy. You know, I mean, you're going to die for this, right? Uh, give up. Just, you know, throw in the towel. You've done a good thing. Pass on the baton, right? But look what Paul says here. What's his perspective with all this, the cost that's related to living on purpose? 24, he says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying the good news of God's grace. That was Paul's perspective. And I pray that my perspective is that way and that yours is that way. When it comes to the cost, the cost of living uh, a Christ-filled life, standing up in your workplace, standing up in your family, uh, standing up uh, in your schools, uh, it is worth it, and God help us to do that. Now, in Acts at 19 and 20, uh, like I mentioned, Paul was in Ephesus, and he's now on his third missionary journey. And uh, let's put the map up, and we'll kind of uh, take a quick look. He started over in Antioch, up on the upper right, on your upper right on the screen. And he went through Asia Minor, which is modern Turkey, kind of made his way quick, and he ends up in Ephesus, and that's kind of where we are uh, in, in 19 and 20. And what's interesting uh, to me is he ends up in Ephesus here. He stops there and spends more time in that region, in Ephesus, than any other place on any other missionary journey. He kind of halts there. Does anybody know, any Bible scholars know, you can't answer Pastor Bobby, um, uh, uh, how long he was there? Anybody? And I didn't expect you to know this, but for three years he was there, and it was a long time. And what's great is that Paul, in that region, had planted several churches. Keep the map up for a second. I'm going to turn in my Bible to Revelations, um, Revelation uh, two and three, and when John gets the revelation and there's these uh, seven churches that are addressed, what are the seven churches? Well, look for them on the map here, all right? In uh, chapter two, it's the first of all, the church in Ephesus. Everyone see that? If you do, say holler. Or, well, or I meant holler, say yes. <laughs> yep, yeah, don't say holler, whatever. You can say whatever you want, all right? Then a little later, it says to the angel of the church in Smyrna. If you see Smyrna, just give me a little wave, all right? Make sure you're with me. All right, someone's hollering. No, so you don't see Smyrna? All right. Wait a second. Yeah. And you know what? In the back of my Bible, it had all these, and they're right. You're just going to have to believe me. Um, it's like, okay, so Asia Minor is like right, right like near Ephesus, if you kind of expand that to the right a little bit. 
Like it's all Smyrna, Pergamum, uh, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea are all right in that region. I guess I should have uh, checked our map and uh, told Bonnie that I was going to be mentioning that, um, but that, that's okay. Um, and what's great is at this point in Paul's ministry, he's planted all the churches that he would be responsible for. And in that area, there were a lot of them. And moving forward, we're going to see, you know, Paul, he's got about 10 years left in his life. He's going to be strengthening churches, and then he spends a lot of time in prison, and then eventually he's going to give his life for the gospel. Uh, one more background thought as we're moving into chapter 19, that the first part of uh, uh, Ephesus as he's going in is Acts chapter 19. Uh, Paul, he, and we're not going to really study this at length, but he meets 12 disciples of John the Baptist, which is kind of interesting. And they uh, were followers of John the Baptist, but had not heard about the good news of Jesus. And he speaks to them, they, he, he leads them to the Lord, they get saved, and they are baptized in the name of Jesus and with the Holy And then they're also filled with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And it's just a great story. We're not, not going to focus there. I thought about it, but um, I, I believe God's got a different word for us this morning. And, and it's quite possible that out of those 12 uh, pastor, or 12 um, disciples, they most likely uh, became the pastors in that surrounding community and uh, really expanded the kingdom in that area. And it's kind of fun to think about. But the important thing I want us to kind of all get our mind around here quickly is that God was moving in Asia Minor, in that region. God was using Paul in extraordinary ways. In fact, in uh, Acts 19, verse 11, it says, God did extraordinary miracles through the apostle Paul. And when it comes to Ephesus, and when he's kind of moving into that region now, and he stays there a while, um, like other cities that we've studied or mentioned in the past, it was, an un, it was very ungodly. Uh, they were known for the temple of Diana or Artemis like each way, and there would have been hundreds of uh, temple prostitutes that were there. Um, the, the city there would have been very sexually charged, a lot like Corinth. But when uh, but what stands out about Ephesus, and it's interesting, I never had seen this before, and as I studied and kind of dove in, is that Ephesus was known, at least in their secular writing, uh, they were known for sorcery, demonic activity, spells, formulas, incantations, and uh, I was explaining that to Bonnie as I was, you know, uh, uh, sharing her my, with her about the notes for the uh, for the slides. And I said, and I was kind of uh, stumbling over my words. I'm like, not witchcraft. And then I, I'm like, yeah, sorcery and demonic activity. And she's like, sounds like witchcraft. And I'm like, yeah, it's it's witchcraft. And uh, it was pagan for sure. And Ephesus was was a beautiful city. And some of you have been there in that region uh, if you've traveled to Israel. Uh, but when I read about it, I, it actually reminds me, the topography, of what maybe Grand Haven or Muskegon, where there's a body of water that comes in, a river that kind of flows into Lake Michigan. Well, there's a river that kind of flowed uh, out of Ephesus, three miles up the river, and then kind of into the sea. And it was a wealthy area. And, um, and on the outside, it would have appeared that Ephesus had it all going on, that it was very successful, 
that uh, it was an area that didn't need very many things. But what was the atmosphere like? That is what kind of caught my attention. What was the atmosphere? It was definitely not healthy. It was not an area that was, uh, was godly. Uh, it was full of idolatry, big time. It was steeped in the demonic. And Paul understood this, and he understood what he was up against. And when he wrote to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 6, look at the parallel here. He finishes up the book, uh, the letter to the Ephesian church, and in chapter 6, verse 10, he says to them, he says, finally, after a lot of things that he shared, he says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. That's important, his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. Why? So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes, because the devil was wreaking havoc in that area and a lot of demonic. It says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And he's speaking that to a church that is surrounded by this kind of activity. And, uh, and I, I just thought that that was uh, insightful. And it kind of begs the question, how in the world would you reach a culture like this? What techniques would you use? What kind of ideas would, uh, would Paul use or anyone else? In fact, if, if you were asked to visit a village or to visit a community or knock on the door of someone that, w- that you knew that they were involved with the occult or some kind of occultic or demonic activity, what would you do? You'd walk out. <laughs> you might run, right? You're thinking, oh God, please don't you know, call me to that, right? Because it's kind of scary. The question is, how do you dispel the darkness? And by the way, some of you are thinking, well, that's you know, kind of creepy. I don't like talking about demons. Um, the demonic is sneaky and it's subtle and uh, it poisons hearts and minds. Uh, how do you dispel that kind of activity, that kind of darkness? Well, I'll tell you a couple things you don't do. You don't, number one, play around with it. You don't flirt with it on the edge and try to understand it. And you also just don't turn your back on it and just think, well, it's not, nothing's happening behind me. You don't turn your back on it. You don't ignore it. And it's important that you, if you do are around it, you, you don't pretend that it won't affect you. I submit that the way you conquer the darkness in this world and in our world and in our lives is you turn on the light. And I'm talking about the light of the gospel and the key in Ephesus, the key to their advancement, the key to their, the miraculous things that happened there and the salvation is really rooted in verse number 20, Acts chapter 19, verse 20. Look what it says. It says, in this way, the word of the Lord, that's going to be important. That's where we're going to kind of uh, hunker down today. The word of the Lord spread wild, or widely and grew in power. 
It's the word of the Lord. You go back to uh, Ephesians chapter 6, and it's the sword of the Spirit, the word of God that was the offensive that takes down demonic activities. The word of God deals with binding up the enemy. Why was Paul's ministry so effective? He knew the word and he preached the word. The truth is, is when the word is highlighted and it's at work, Satan is defeated. Amen? When a ministry is dominated by the word of God, the powers of darkness are stopped. And let's make it personal. When your life is saturated with the word of God, there's victory, there's freedom, there's joy, there's strength. The truth is uh, that when, that when all these things happen, when your life is saturated, the enemy, he gets nervous. That's why he works so hard against it. And so we need the Word of God in our lives. Now, I want to talk about our culture here for a moment. You say, well, what are you talking about? You know, we live in West Michigan. Uh, you know, the, de- the demonic, that sounds scary, or you don't like to think about it, or, you know, you say, I'm not sure if I believe in it. Well, listen, it's sneaky, like I said, it's subtle. And it sneaks up with topics like we talked about last week. How many know when someone attempts suicide or does is successful in taking their life, you know we've got to just acknowledge that the demonic, the devil, is behind that. He's wreaking havoc with their minds. When you struggle with depression, depression is not from the Lord. That's from the enemy. When you feel like you're in despair, when you're hopeless, or maybe you're struggling with some sort of kind of addiction, uh, whether it's uh, a substance or pornography. Listen, the enemy, he is having a field day in our culture right here in West Michigan, even with believers. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And I want you to remember that the word it deals with the enemy. When it's highlighted, Satan's defeated. A uh, ministry dominated. Uh, it, it stops the powers of darkness. And when your life is saturated, good things happen when it's in the Word of God. Turn with me to, actually, you don't have to turn there necessarily, but at Matthew chapter 4, uh, just one final thought about the Word of God. And Jesus, he understood this early on in his ministry. He used the Word of God to combat the devil. He's out in the, uh, in the wilderness. He's being tested. He was taken out there uh, to be tested, uh, to be tempted by the devil. It says the tempter that Satan came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And what did Jesus say? He said, well, let me tell you about these stones. No, he goes back to the word of God. He says, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then Satan comes and tries to trick him again. He says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. And he actually uses scripture, twists it, and he says, you know, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up uh, in their hands, and uh, that you will not strike
strike your foot against a stone. So he's used in Scripture. The enemy's so subtle, so sneaky. That's the way he works. But Jesus, again, he says, it is written. He comes back to the Word of God, rightly divided. He says, do not put the Lord your God to a test. One more time. Uh, if you bow down to me, Satan says, I'll give you everything here. What a, what a sneaky thing to say. I mean, he, God, er, Satan knew that God owned it all. He's the one that created it all. But he comes to him and he says, away from me, Satan, for it is written. He uses the word of God again. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And what I, I you know, you read that. And I almost was finished kind of studying and kind of meditating on that. And then verse 11 jumped out at me. Look what happened when Jesus used the word of God. It says, Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. When, I was thinking, when we use the word of God, the devil has to flee. It's his word that makes the difference. And in Acts 19 and 20, as I was studying and just meditating over uh, these uh, two chapters this week and just asking the Lord kind of what direction, and, and, and to be honest, it was a kind of a slow start getting going and uh, really sensing the Lord, you know, what direction, but I really felt like there were three ideas, kind of three points that jumped out kind of around this idea of the Word of God. And that's what I want to share with you in the next 15 to 20 minutes. And the first thing is that Paul, he preached the Word. And we've seen that, but we see it here in Acts chapter 19 and 20 as well. Uh, let's turn there, Acts chapter 19, and we'll start in verse number 8. It says this, Paul entered the synagogue, and he spoke boldly for three months arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They, were, they refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannius. That was the first church that met in a school. How about it, right? And uh, just thought that was kind of fun. Uh, it says, this, uh, this went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia, heard the word of the Lord. Paul preached the gospel. I like what Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, that faith comes by hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. How did they hear it? They heard it through the preaching and teaching. And in verse 9, it says that it was daily. And for two years, we're talking hundreds of messages here, hundreds of opportunities that Paul took advantage of to share the good news of the gospel, Old Testament and about the kingdom of God and about Jesus. And for three months, he was in the synagogue. And that's a long, the longest he had been because you normally it's a week or two weeks or three weeks at most, and then he's run out. But for three months, then they kick him out. But he spoke boldly. He's arguing, he's discussing, he's teaching. Yeah, there's questions and answers. And his focus was the kingdom of God. At the very end of Acts, Acts chapter uh, 28, 
the very last verse of uh, or last two verses, it says, uh, for two years, Paul stayed there. Uh, he rented his house, welcomed all who came to see him. Uh, but then verse 31 says, he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And so is the kingdom of God and Jesus. What do people need to hear today? They need to hear about Jesus and the kingdom of God, and especially if they're steeped in idolatry, which our community is certainly, there are idols all around us. If it's steeped in sorcery or witchcraft or anything that is demonic, uh, the activity, listen, the gospel, the word of God, when it goes forward, it has great effect. And it says in Acts chapter 20, verse 31, that Paul shared it night and day. It says, so be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. And with tears, the idea is that he did it with passion. He believed. Paul preached the word. He preached the word. And you think about it. No wonder the church in Ephesus was such a great church in the first century. One man, the Apostle Paul, saturated the people with the Word of God. God's Word prevails and it changes lives. And you think about great preachers throughout the years that, um, that we would kind of acknowledge and remember. And I was thinking of uh, the late Billy Graham. And I don't know why he came to my mind, but he was a man of God's Word. I was able uh, to be at one of his crusades, and they said it was one of his last crusades, and he kept on doing them for like five or ten years after that, I don't know, but, uh, and some of you may have experienced something like that, but it was always based in the Word of God, and the God he received. It wasn't watered down. Paul didn't water it down. Uh, it was made to be relevant for that culture and meeting felt needs, but it was always the Word of God, and that's what jumped out, number one. The second thing I noticed in these chapters is that signs and wonders followed the preaching of the word. And I really like this. In Mark, before we get to Mar uh, Acts 19, let's look at Mark 16, verse 20. It says, Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere. And the Lord worked with them, and then, you might want to underline this, and confirmed his word by signs that accompanied it. When Jesus sent them out, this is after the resurrection, they, were, they went out, they preached, and the, word, the, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by signs that accompanied it. Now, in Acts chapter 19, we see the result of that. This is the continuation of that. And I believe it's continuing today. The same idea. God's the same yesterday as he is today and as he will be tomorrow. It says in verse 11, Acts chapter 19, verse 11, God did extraordinary miracles through the apostle Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Now, I want to be careful here. 
Um, I believe that the greatest miracle that it could ever happen is the miracle of salvation, right? Where a lost person is now found. But there are miracles far beyond that. And, uh, and you think about it, Luke, the, uh, the, the disciple Luke, the doctor, is, is, he's watched this and he's saying that even extraordinary miracles, like what would that even be? Um, but I want you to know that if we want to see miracles, then we need to boldly proclaim the gospel to unbelievers. And not just in the sanctuary, but salvations. The greatest miracles can happen anywhere. In the last two weeks, I've heard two stories of people in our church. They're actually both in the service. I didn't ask for their permission, but I'm going to talk about it, and uh, I'm not going to say who they are, but two people here have led people that are very close to them to the Lord. One called up and said, and left a big, long message, saying, Pastor Ben, you're not going to believe it. I led my friend to the Lord. And I thought, man, that's incredible, right in their house. Another one, they, these group of, of uh, uh, families, uh, they meet in, the, in their neighborhood and uh, they led their neighbor to the Lord and they have a hot tub and they're like, hey, what's, it's like the you know, story of the Ethiopian eunuch, you know, like what's, what's the weight? Let's baptize now. They take off their shirts in their shorts, they get in, they baptize the guy and then hang out in the hot tub. How, how cool is that? <laughs> how cool is is that because they shared the word of God. I was thinking my story. When I was curious, when I was nine years old in 1985, my grandma said, uh, let me tell you about what I know about salvation. And she just went on for hours and hours. And then I got saved. Do you think that's how it happened? No. She said, go get your Bible. And she took me through the Romans road to salvation. It was all the word of God that revealed itself and the miracle of salvation happened for me. Now, again, in verse 11, it says extraordinary. And you think about all that Luke had seen and, and beyond this, you're thinking, wow. And it says in verse 12, this is kind of a wow moment that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick. Now, you could probably take this to an extreme and have some kind of crazy theology about handkerchiefs and uh you know we're the church of the handkerchiefs right anybody have a handkerchief anymore or an apron right and i'm not uh i'm not so sure that would be smart but don't be so quick to discount the supernatural this is important listen and you say well that sounds superstitious well it might but there are other cases in scripture that are just as superstitious let me just give you two examples. How about the woman with the issue of blood? In Matthew chapter 9, and in Mark 5, and in Luke 8, in three out of the four Gospels, it says that she pushed through the crowd to touch just the hem of the garment. She said, if I could just touch the hem of the garment. And I do know that there's Old Testament you know, uh, ideas with priests and, and things like that uh, around that story. But it's kind of superstitious. If I just touch the hem of the garment, I'll be healed. But God answered in that case. How about in Acts chapter 5? People were wanting to just get into the shadow of Peter as they walked by, and just the shadow touching them would heal them. Does it sound superstitious? Say, that sounds a little crazy. 
Well, I call it faith. (laughs) And in Acts chapter 19, it was faith, and it was faith after they had heard the word of God proclaimed. And I just want to say, let faith arise in this place, amen? And if it's God, I want it. We don't want the crazy, but we want all that God has for us. And what we see in Acts 19 is that signs and wonders followed the preaching of the word. Why can't it happen again and again and again? Let faith arise. There's a third thing. Lives were ultimately changed because of the word of God. Paul preached the word, signs and wonders, and lives were changed. Let's continue. Acts chapter 19, verse 13. It says, Some Jews who went, who went around driving out evil spirits uh, tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who, had, uh, who were demon-possessed. They would say, In the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish uh, chief priest, were doing this. One day... The evil spirit answered them, kind of scary, Jesus I know and Paul I know about, but who are you? (laughs) The man uh, who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Now, we could talk about that for a little bit, but we're, we're going to kind of scoot next to that. They were trying to duplicate what uh, Paul, they had seen Paul do, and, uh, and they, were, they had missed the point. But the, the name of the Lord was uh, honored. Look at verse 17. It says, When this became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. How many of you would be f- afraid if that happened? I probably would too. And it says he gave, uh, they, were, they were seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. And I do want to pause here. The name of the Lord Jesus was honored. And I learned this at an early age. We know that uh, one of the Ten Commandments is do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, right? Uh, if you don't know that, that's important. I um, I was thinking about it, and my parents are going to be here second service, and, uh, I, and I just thought about it this morning and just kind of added in my notes as I was reviewing my message. Um, like, when did I learn that lesson? Well, I learned it when I was young, pretty young, probably fifth or sixth grade, and I was telling a big lie uh, at the dinner table. I know some of you are shocked by that, and... Um, and uh, <laughs> But if you got kids, you know that they lie sometimes too. But um, I was telling this story about uh, about a friend of mine, and I I mean it's so bizarre. Like why would I even be saying this? Uh, where did the idea even come from? But I should I tell you the details of what my lie was? You're gonna like this. You won't. You'll. Yeah. Uh, it's it's kind of weird. But uh, I was trying to convince my sisters that my friend, because they were so poor they would only flush their toilet once a week. <laughs> that, that's the truth. That's the truth. And, uh, and they, my sisters were not buying it, and I was getting a little upset that they weren't believing my story, and I said, I swear to God I'm telling the truth. Right at the dinner table. And as God is my witness, and my parents will be here second service, they're in town, uh, the atmosphere changed, <laughs> let me just say. 
And my parents took the opportunity to teach me a lesson. And I've had my mouth washed out with soap two times. And that time, I was a little... Um, the second time I learned that you just deal with it, and actually the second time was a pump soap, and I'm, ju- I'm just giving some of your parents ideas. You know, <laughs> just one pump. You don't need three. Um, uh, that was, that was, but uh, it was with a bar of soap, and I decided to bite the bar of soap, and then I was puking sick, and uh, that was really, really gross. But I learned the name of the Lord needed to be honored. And so let's just read it again, verse 17. So they see this scary story, right? The man, the evil spirit jumps on him, overpowers him. He gave them all a beating. I got soap in my mouth, right? And so there was fear. They were all seized with fear. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Now listen, when you lift up the name of Jesus, good things happen. Watch what happens here. It says, many... Of those who believe now came and openly confessed what they had done. So God was moving. A number who had practiced sorcery, okay, so they were involved in the occult and with, um, you know, incantations and spells and things. They brought their scrolls together and they burned them publicly. Wow. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. You say, how much is that? Well, in my notes, it says that it's a one drachmas is about a day's wage. And and, uh, you just calculate that out with uh, just, let's say, even minimum wage. We're talking over $2 million worth of scrolls were brought. So the name of the Lord was honored and lifted up. People saying, man, you know, I've got to get out of this witchcraft, right? The sorcery. They bring their scrolls and they burn the stuff. They burn it. And it, it reminds me of back, Pastor Bruce, when I was in youth group. There were two times, one at summer camp and one time in our youth group, that I, we were encouraged at youth camp first to go back to our cabins, and if there was anything in our cabins that was displeasing to the Lord, that we were to bring that to the altar. And I didn't have anything, thank the Lord, no contraband here. (laughs) But there were people in my cabin that went back and got things in their rooms, music, cassette tapes, (laughs) CDs, I think there were CDs then, and uh, some were bringing magazines that had showed up at Christian camp and we were, they were bringing it to the altar and we put it all in this one big uh, garbage can and they took it out and they burned it that night. I'll never forget that. Our youth group did the same thing uh, when I was in high school. Uh, we, and that was all publicized, like bring your garbage, bring the things in your house that are displeasing to God. And we brought, and I remember kids bringing CDs and, and breaking CDs, and I remember throwing them and things like that. But uh, and, and it, it, it made an impression in my mind. And I was thinking, you know, if we said that today, there may be someone that says, well, hey, you know, you know, if there were video games that are not pleasing to God, you could just take those down to the GameStop and get a credit and, and redo that. That's not what they did. They weren't looking to cash out on that or give it to their sorcery friends and say, hey, we're done. 
They burned it. Some would say, well, I've got some magazines that might not be pleasing to the Lord. I'll just sell those online and get them out of my house, and, but I'll get a little profit. I'll give the money to missions, right? <laughs> Listen, that's not what they did. Today, in our day and age, maybe it's you know, a computer that needs to be smashed or a tablet or a phone that's causing trouble, allowing the devil to get a foothold in our lives. Listen, the key is the name of the Lord being honored. And it changed lives. Let's look at it. Verse 20. This is where we kind of started. It says, In this way, so all this was happening, the word of the Lord spread wild, widely, I want to say wildly, but widely and grew in power. Lives were changed when the word of God was proclaimed. And I really believe that today there are some moms and dads that are here that if they decided to clean up their home, clean up their act, and there may be some kids here that could clean up their rooms in regards to some of the things that would be displeasing to the Lord, if students, Pastor Bruce, got serious about this, we could have a little bonfire of our own. And I was thinking, you know, you know, don't you think that verse 20 would be true for us? That if we were to do that, do you think the word of God would spread widely and with great power? If families, dads stood up and said, all right, enough is enough. I was thinking we've got at our property a bunch of wood that we can't get a burn permit uh, to burn all the stuff. In fact, if you want some wood, there's wood at the church property, you can take it and do that. But I was, I'd be curious, what would come out of our congregation? Computers, magazines, books that are inappropriate, phones, tablets, I don't know. What would you, what, what's coming to your mind <laughs> that God might be pricking your heart, saying, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't have that around. The truth is, church, that there is victory when the word of God dominates. When you live according to his word and you say, you know what, I'm going to clean up my act with God's help. I want to encourage you that we need to be people in the word. And you say, well, you know, I know it's important. Well, in Acts chapter 20, Paul brings the Ephesus leaders to him and uh, he's kind of giving his farewell, farewell to the um, Ephesian elders. It's not in Ephesus, they're in Miletus. Uh, but Acts chapter 20, verse 25, just turn with me there for a second. He's kind of giving his farewell. He's saying, Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. He's saying, So long. Uh, you know, you're on your way, and I'm not going to see you again. He says, therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. He's saying, look, I've shared the truth um, and I'm clear of my conscience. I, I know that you know uh, the truth because I've shared it. And he continues, he says, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. And then he says a few things that I think are important for us to hear this morning. He says, keep watch over yourselves yourselves. 
and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And that's a word for some moms and dads. That's a word for some grandmas and grandpas. That's some words for some single parents. And you're saying, hey, I've got kids. Or, and, and for some of you, you're just here on, on your own. You're a single adult, maybe. That's a word for your life, right? That you've got to oversee your own life. It says, be shepherds of the church of God, which he brought with his own, which he bought with his own blood. Why? For now, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own uh, number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I have never stopped warning you, each of you, night and day with tears. What Paul is saying, he's saying, keep watch. Savage wolves, that is the enemy at work, and it can be sneaky in weird ways. He's saying, be a shepherd. You've got responsibility for yourself and for those that are close to you. Be on guard. And with that, I'm going to ask Pastor Bobby to come and we're going to set our hearts before the Lord. We see Paul, he preached the word, signs and wonders followed, and lives were ultimately changed. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the power of your word, and thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to hear and to be challenged this morning. Lord, I'm asking that you would move in our hearts here in the next couple moments that you would just change us from the inside out. Let your word resonate with us in Jesus' name. This morning, with your head bowed and eyes closed, through the foolishness of preaching, the Bible says that people will give their hearts to the Lord. Sometimes I stand and wonder, like, wow, that God would do that. It's not so much the person, it's the word of God being presented. And I want you to know what the Word says in regards to your life. It says that all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. There's not one person here that is righteous on their own. Each of us need to be covered with the blood of Jesus. And Jesus, He provided that by dying on the cross. When He was nailed to the cross, He took our sin but we have to accept it as our own. If you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior, and you're saying, man, I need to get, uh, I need to accept Jesus, I need my sins forgiven, I'm just going to ask that you, if you're ready to make that decision, I want you just to raise your hand right where you are, and I want to pray for you. Last week we had people, almost uh, every week here at the Gateway Church, there's somebody giving their heart to the Lord, Two people outside a church uh, that I'm aware of have given their hearts to the Lord in the last, in the last couple weeks. Who in the first service here is ready to surrender and say, that's where I am today? Anybody at all? Slip up your hand so I can see. Okay. All right. I don't see any hands, so let me get your eyes back on me just for a second here. 
when you hear a message like this, the, the only way I've really felt like I could close is because we're all in a different state. We're in, all in a different season. We're all living our lives. And yes, there's some things that are common, but uh, I just believe that the Holy Spirit is so gracious, so kind, that He can speak to every single one of us in a different way. And we have three kind of ideas here that, you know, got, Paul preached the word, there were signs and wonders, and that, you know, lives were changed. Uh, that's kind of the, the key. But uh, if you're here this morning and you're saying, man, uh, what action step do I need, Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit might be speaking to you about being in the word. I kind of said it last week, like, you know, I want to just encourage you about our soap reading and, and about the minimum expectation. If you're attending here at the Gateway Church, we want you to be in the Word of God. We take two chapters a day. It takes 15 minutes, 30 minutes if you're slow like me, right? And to do it. And for some of you, this is another reminder saying, man, I need to get in the Word of God. For others of you, you hear a message like this and the takeaway, the big takeaway is you need to clean up your house. And for some of you, that's difficult. Maybe some of you are invested heavily in something that was not pleasing to the Lord. And I'm not going to say that you should necessarily burn it, but listen, if you did, I promise you the word of God would advance and God would get the glory for it. He'd make up for any loss that there would be. For others, maybe you hear a message like this and you're saying, you know what, I need to be more like Paul. I need to speak up. I need to share the word a little bit more. And maybe for others, it's that faith piece, that signs and wonders. You're saying, you know what, I need to believe for the supernatural more in my life. And so I'm not sure what the big takeaway is. But I'm just going to ask you in your own way, right here, right now, before we end, before the closing prayer, would you just ask the Holy Spirit to give you one takeaway, something you can hold on to for this week? Would you do that right here? Just go ahead, bow your head, close your eyes. Just ask the Lord, what's the one thing that you want me to hang on to? What do you have for me, Holy Spirit, in this message that you don't want me to forget? And I want you to hang on to that. Lord, I pray that as you're revealing some things to our friends here this morning, and you're even revealing things to me, Lord, God, I'm asking that your hand would be upon us. Give us strength to be in your word. Give us strength to do the hard work of cleaning house. Give us the strength to speak up, or give us the strength and the, the uh, faith to believe for supernatural things signs and wonders, extraordinary. God, I pray that you would do what only you can do. Holy Spirit, move in our hearts. And Lord, as we hold on to the one thing for this week, I pray that it would sustain us, that it would help us. And God, we give you the praise and the glory for it. And now as we, uh, we decide to close service and we are going to leave here momentarily, I pray that you would go before us, behind us, and all around us. We pray this all together, and all God's people said, 
Amen and amen. I want you to stand this morning. Before you leave, I want you to exit out this front door here so you can see the bake sale. And make sure you stop by and bless our missions team. Otherwise, turn, greet one another, go in the grace of God. And those that are running the bake sale, you better get out there. All right, love you guys. God bless you. Go in the grace of God. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegatewaygh.com.